We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel and to Luke chapter 8. Uh, We're picking up our series on Luke's Gospel again this evening, and we're turning to Luke 8, and we're reading from verse 1 down to verse 21. Uh, You'll find our reading on pages 864 and 865 of of the Pew Bibles, 864 over into 865. Uh, We're going to read a very famous parable that Jesus told and a couple of other things that he said after the famous parable. So Luke 8, beginning at verse 1, and we're reading down to verse 21. And this is God's word to us. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to his seed, and as he sowed, some, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light." For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through to 21, pages 864 and over into 865 of the Pew Bibles. And let's pray before we think about this passage together. Father, we do thank you that all this day your hand has held us 
and kept us and that you, the God of heaven, have been by our side. We do thank you for your goodness to us, goodness that we barely even recognize at times. But we thank you especially tonight for your goodness in giving us the scriptures, your word to us, your your sure and certain word, your, your final and authoritative word to us. We pray that you would give us a focus as we look at it again together this evening, that you would come by your spirit and work in our hearts and point us to Jesus and help us to realize that he is the only one worth following. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, tonight we're returning to our series on Luke's Gospel. This is our third crack at uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, third part of what we might describe as a major series. Uh, Luke's Gospel is 24 chapters long, and it is going to take us a while to get through, so we're going to kind of come and go at it. Uh, We started this series in November 2020. Remember that time, church was open, but we were split over two buildings, and we were also on the cusp of another lockdown, Uh, We ran the first part of the series into January 21 and then returned to it last year, August 21. We took another break in January of this year and now we're back to it for a third time. In the first part of the series, we covered chapters 1 to 3. Second part, we covered chapters 4 to 7. And now we're picking things up in chapter 8. And I'll do a little recap in the moment, uh, but let me start in this way. Have you ever had the sense that you're being followed? Have you ever had the sense that you're being followed in the car by someone on foot by someone's eyes around a room have you ever had the sense that you're being followed I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago during the, the summer we spent a week at my mum and dad's caravan it was the really hot week in August and I did some kayaking I had the girls out with me a few times but I also went out by myself a couple of times as well And on one morning, I was out by myself, and I went a little bit further in terms of distance, a bit further away from the caravan site and the little jetty that I had set off from. And I was really just taking in the views and enjoying the tranquility of the sea because it was really still and really calm. And on my way back one morning, I stopped just one last time, and I paused to look at the moorings. Beautiful view. And I happened to turn 90 degrees to look towards where the mountains run down into the sea, so like Newcastle, St. John's Point, the lighthouse. But that wasn't what caught my attention because not too far away from me, and I mean really not that far away from me, was a seal. And he was looking straight at me. And at that point, I realized I had been followed. He was where I had been just a few seconds earlier. The the seal lives in the waters near the caravan site, and as soon as I saw him, I rode for my life. I got out of the way, and I was straight back into the little jetty. And the sense of being followed by a seal left me slightly unnerved, because we'd seen the seal before, and we'd kind of talked about it, and we said, yeah, well, seals can tip kayaks, and they can bite people. I tell you, I rode for my life. Now, the same can't be said for the Lord Jesus in Luke 8. As we pick up this series again, we find that Jesus is being followed. In Luke 8, verse 1, Luke tells us, soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And then in verse 4, we're told that a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. 
Instead of being unnerved by and, and fleeing from the crowds, Jesus teaches them and he, he talks to them about spiritual things. We're going to look at what he says in just a moment, but let me do that little recap on Luke and his gospel. A survey of the New Testament references to Luke tell us that he is a medical doctor and a gospel worker. He was both a physical physician in that he treated people with medical needs, but he was also a spiritual physician in that he was involved in telling other people about Jesus. Luke wrote his gospel under the guidance and direction of the Spirit of God around 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. His gospel is his first volume, Acts is his second. Luke is also the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Paul wrote the most amount of books, but in terms of number of words, Luke wrote the most. In total, Luke's two volumes take up a quarter of the New Testament. At the beginning of his gospel, we read that Luke has compiled a narrative about Jesus because he has followed things closely and because he wants to provide people with certainty. He's writing to a man called Theophilus, but his work has been considered as part of the canon of scripture by the church throughout all generations since Jesus' ascension. Luke's purpose in writing is that he wants to show his readers that Jesus is the savior of the world who seeks the lost. That's what we've seen throughout this series. Luke retells the stories and, and teachings of Jesus in a way that consistently emphasizes that the gospel is a matter of the heart. That's why our little graphic on the PowerPoint is a stethoscope. As we return to Luke for a third time, our hearts are going to be exposed again. Through his word, the Lord is going to expose the fact that we can't save ourselves and that only Jesus can. We're going to see that tonight as we look at the passage in front of us. This next part of Luke is all about responding to the word, responding to the Bible. The, the big question for us as we think about hearing the word, the Bible, the gospel, is what will we do as we hear it? How will we listen? To help us understand this passage, we're going to think about three things. We're going to think about what we're told about Jesus, and we're going to see that Jesus is the sower of the seed, the revealer of secrets, and the brother we need. We're going to take each of those points in turn. First of all, Jesus is the sower of the seed, and this first point will be longer than the other two. So first of all, Jesus is the sower of the seed. In verses 1 to, 1 to 3 of chapter 8, we have some details about who is following Jesus and, and who's with him. In verse 4, there's a crowd around him, and knowing that he is a captive audience, Jesus tells them a parable. It's possibly his most famous parable, the parable of the sower. Now, in Jesus' day, seed was not sown in the fields the way it is nowadays. Instead, when a farmer had to sow out a field, he would have had a large bag over his shoulder, which would have been filled with seed. Fields wouldn't have been ploughed before sowing. Farmers just would have gone out to sow, and the wind would have taken the seed all over the place. The seed in Jesus' parable, as you'll see from the beginning of his explanation in verse 11, represents the word of God. And the parable itself is very straightforward. So the sower casts his seed and some falls on the path and the birds steal it away. Some lands on rocky soil where it quickly sprouts but eventually wilts. Some falls on thorns where it's choked and, and growth is strangled. And then some ends up on good soil where it multiplies. At the end of the parable, Luke tells us that verse 8, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, why did Jesus say that? 
Well, Jesus, as the most loving man who ever lived, wants people to understand what he's saying through this parable. And he wants them to understand that he is the sower. There was a big crowd crowd around Jesus, and he clearly perceived that some people were just tagging along. In telling the parable of the sower, Jesus is revealing where everyone stands. Everyone in the crowd that day fell into one of the four categories Jesus mentioned, just as everyone here tonight falls into one of the four categories Jesus mentions. The disciples get along, uh, get Jesus along in verse 9, and they sort of say to him, well, we haven't really understood this parable, and we need you to explain it a little bit more, Jesus. Before he explains it, he says something that is often viewed as quite disturbing to people as they read it. So look at what he says in verse 10. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now what is Jesus saying? We, we normally assume that the point of a parable is to clarify a difficult aspect of Jesus' teaching. Earthly story, heavenly meaning. We've heard that before. We kind of think parables, well those are picture stories, and Jesus is trying to make something really difficult, really simple. But actually, the parables that Jesus told had a dual purpose. For those who had ears to hear, the parables were given to reveal the, thing, the, the hidden things of the kingdom of God. But at the same time, Jesus spoke in parables to hide some of those, from some of those listening the truth of the gospel. Now, that seems severe. Why would Jesus do that? He's the most loving man who ever lived. Surely he wouldn't make it difficult for some people to come to know him. But parables were given not only to reveal, but also to conceal. To those whom God had given ears to hear, it was revelation, it was good news. But for those whose hearts were hardened, who didn't have ears to hear, the parables were a form of judgment. It's as though God was saying to these people, you you don't want to hear me? Well then, I won't let you hear me. And God's justice is poetic. He gives people over to their sins. He says, let that hardened heart become even more hardened. And that is actually a perfectly just judgment of God with respect to people who don't want to have God in their life. It's perfectly just of God to act in that way. Having said what he says in verse 10, Jesus then proceeds to explain the parable to his disciples. Now remember what he has said To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So Jesus isn't concealing things from the disciples. He's revealing things to them. And what comes next is the explanation of the parable of the sower. We've looked at this parable before in church. My guess is that we're reasonably familiar with it. For that reason, what I'm going to do is just briefly mention what each soil represents in terms of our heart response to the word, in terms of the application. And remember... Everyone in the crowd that day fell into one of the four categories Jesus mentioned. And everyone here tonight falls into one of the four categories as well. First of all, you'll see verse 12, the path. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Just as the seed, the word of God, bounced on the path and was swept away by the wind, so it bounces off some hearts. Nothing from the Lord's truth stirs people like this. The thought of sin, the thought of eternity, 
It just bounces off them. I'll think about that some other time. Everybody sins, why should I care? The path is the hard heart. Secondly, there's the rock, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. This is a shallow heart. And sadly, this, heart, this kind of heart is really common. People who have made professions of faith in their early days, end of school, university, but who have just withered away because they had no roots. Too many people respond emotionally to the gospel, but simply tasting something of God's power on an emotional level isn't true conversion. Thirdly, there's the thorns, verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus here speaks of infested hearts. This is a divided heart infested by irreconcilable loyalties, things that just are so far apart they'll never work together. This is someone who, who halts between two different opinions. This is a heart that makes gestures towards Jesus, but life and the stuff in life draws it back and it doesn't leave any room for an authentic walk with Jesus. This is actually a lost heart because a heart that's overcome with a love for riches and pleasures is not a believing heart. Jesus made it really clear. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He made it so clear. Then fourthly, there are good hearts. Verse 15, as for that, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The word doesn't bounce off the surface of this heart, neither does it temporarily flourish then die, and it's not divided by competing desires and therefore strangled. Rather, it's a heart that allows God's word to take deep root within it. It then produces a harvest of good character followed by good works. Everyone in the crowd that day fell into one of the four categories Jesus mentioned. Everyone here tonight falls into one of the four categories Jesus mentioned. That this parable gives us an insight into what goes on when people come to church and sit under the word. So how are you listening tonight? Answer that honestly in your own heart. How are you listening tonight? What's your response to the word, to the gospel, to Jesus? Jesus is the sower of the seed. It's his word that is sowed in churches and by his spirit he is at work in people's hearts. There's no doubt as to what true hearing is. It's a heart that hears and does the Lord's word. And to help us understand that, Luke includes two more paragraphs after the parable. And in the first paragraph, verses 16 to 18, we see that Jesus is the revealer of secrets. That's our second point. Jesus is the sower of the seed, and he's also the revealer of, of secrets. Remember, first point was long, points two and three, a little bit shorter. Jesus is the revealer of secrets. Then secondly, look at what he says in verses 16 to 18. He says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. 
Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus depicts his followers, those who are the good soil, as lamps. And his point is that his followers must let the light that is in them shine before others. And he uses a really simple picture. So think of a lamp. Think of the the nicest lamp that you own. Your favorite lamp, the one that you used to read a book with or read the newspaper with. Your most expensive lamp, the one you always put on when you go into a certain room. When you turn a lamp on, you don't throw a blanket over it to cover it up. You leave it on so that it shines in the room and it helps you to see and it helps other people to see. It's the same with following Jesus. It doesn't make sense to say that you're a Christian if you hide the fact you're a Christian. No, Jesus says that if you're following me, other people need to see the light that is in you. That's because, as you can see in verse 17, there's a day coming when everything will be revealed. If verse 10 made us ask questions, verse 17 should make us sit bolt upright. Look at what Jesus says. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Jesus mentions the positive and negative aspects of Judgment Day. Judgment Day is good news because the truth will fully and finally be revealed to be the truth once and for all. Every falsehood and every lie will be destroyed. Every wrong will be righted. But the negative side is that the secrets of our hearts, the things that we do in darkness, the things we hide from the world, from other people, will all come into open view. It makes us sit bold upright. Think for a moment of the things in your life that you would most like to keep secret forever. And like when I say forever, I mean forever. No one ever finds out. And then realize that it's impossible for them to remain hidden. Not only the truth about the gospel will be made clearly known, but also the truth about me and you. Nothing that is hidden will remain hidden. Now that's not good news for sinners, people like you and me. And these are sobering words. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, you've got to live in the light. Let the truth be in the light. Don't hide the word of God and and don't hide yourself from the word of God. He says, take care then how you hear. How we listen is important. And what we do after we've listened reveals how we've listened. In other words, what we do after church, during the week, reveals how we've listened. And Jesus says that what we do after we've listened will be revealed one day. The half-heartedness, the grumbling, the me, me, me heart attitude that is, is so difficult to shift in all of us. Jesus is the revealer of secrets. Everyone in the crowd that day fell into one of the four categories Jesus mentioned. Everyone here tonight falls into one of the four categories Jesus mentioned. Everyone here tonight is going to stand before Jesus and he's going to reveal everything. Jesus is the sower of the seed He's the revealer of secrets. And thirdly and finally, he's the brother we need. He's the brother we need. I'm conscious that a, a sermon like this can kind of mess with our minds, mess with our hearts, especially if we're following Jesus. We, we can't have soft hearts when it comes to some of the application of all of this. But we also can't avoid what Jesus says here. This is in the Bible for a reason. 
something that I scribbled down when I was prepping all of this was that, was that Jesus says things that we wouldn't dare say. I mean, I would never have said any of what I've said tonight unless Jesus said it. You can rest assured of that. But because Jesus said it, we need to take it to heart. And we need to ask ourselves the hard questions. How am I listening? How am I living? Am I throwing a, a blanket over my lamp? What's, going, what's really going on in my heart? It's good to ask those questions at any, at any point, but it's, it's particularly good to ask them at the start of a new season. But we also need to turn our attention to, what, to, to Jesus and to what he has done. And something of what he has done is, is shown to us in verses 19 and 20. Jesus is interrupted. He's nearly finished, but he's interrupted. His mother and his brothers are outside. They can't get to him because of the crowd and they want to see him. But he says this, he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do you notice that key phrase? The word of God. The seed, of the, the seed is the word of God, as verse 11 tells us. And Jesus says, my mother and my brothers, my followers, those whose hearts are like the good soil, are those who hear the word of God and do it. What, what we have here is a, is a brilliant summary of one of the most important doctrines laid out for us in the New Testament. It's the doctrine of adoption. This doctrine means that through the grace of God, everyone who puts their faith in Christ is adopted into the family of God. Jesus calls us his brothers and his sisters, and then we are adopted by his father. It's a beautiful doctrine. Jesus is the brother we need because, because as our elder brother, he has done what we could not do, namely satisfy the wrath of a holy God. As our elder brother, he has taken the punishment that we deserve. He has humbled himself. He has come to our level, our world, and he has died so that we might live. Proverbs 18 verse 24 rings true. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the sower of the seed. He's the revealer of secrets, but he's the brother we need, the rescuer we need, the savior we need. And without him, which one of us who, who claim his name could stand? Which one of us? We, we, we buy our hearts in wonder at all that he has done for us. We, we buy our hearts in service at the start of a new season at the one who has given everything for us. Now, what if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian? I want to speak to you for the remainder of our time, which won't be long, by the way. Have you ever had the sense that you're being followed? Not by a car, not by a person, certainly not by a seal, but by the Lord. There's a sense in which every time you come to church as someone who doesn't know Jesus, as someone who hasn't trusted in Jesus, there's a sense that God is pursuing you, is, is following you, is confronting you, is softening your heart, is hardening your heart. What's the best thing to do if you realize that someone is following you? Well, it's to stop, isn't it? It's to stop and to say to them, what, what do you want? It's a seal. You can't do that because seals bite people and tip kayaks and they can't talk. But if it's the Lord, well, if you have the sense that the Lord is, is following you, that the Lord is pursuing you, confronting you, that the Lord is speaking to you, you should stop and you should say, 
Lord, what would you have me do? He would have you do what the three women mentioned in verses 2 and 3 did. He would have you follow him. Now, we didn't mention these three women at the start, but they're very interesting. They're named by Luke, which is notable. And in naming them, Luke points out how they come from widely different backgrounds. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. That meant social, social deprivation and isolation. Joanna was the wife of Herod's household manager. That meant access to the, to the, access to the corridors of power. And Susanna, well, this is the only reference to her in the Bible. We have no idea who she was, but along with Mary Magdalene and Joanna, she provided for Jesus and his disciples. Did you know that nowhere in the Gospels does a woman turn away from Jesus? Nowhere in the Gospels. Jesus meets all different types of people, men, women, but no women turn away from him. It's quite something, isn't it? Nowhere in the Gospels does a woman turn away from Jesus. If you have the sense that the Lord is following you and you were to stop and say, what do you want? The passage in front of us tonight tells us that he would say, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. If you have the sense that the Lord is following you, you should do what these three women did because they responded to the word. They trusted in Jesus and their lives bore the fruit of that. In some ways, they're just an illustration of the good soil. Jesus is the sower of the seed, the revealer of secrets, and the brother I need, and the brother you need. The saviour you need, the rescuer you need. The best thing to do, if the Lord is pursuing you, is to stop tonight and to turn to Christ. If you want to talk to me after the service, you can wait behind, send me a text, give me a ring. But remember, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And we thank you for this great picture of who Jesus is, the one who is the sower of the seed, the one who will reveal secrets one day. But most of all, we thank you that he is the brother that we so desperately need. Father, we thank you for how he has poured out his life on a cross, also that we might know you and follow you. And we pray that tonight we would be those who are the good soil, those who are living fruitfully for you, who are experiencing your presence in our lives and who are living for you through the week. And Father, we pray that you'd speak to those who haven't yet trusted in Jesus. We pray that you would bring them to the foot of the cross tonight and that they might trust in him for the first time. And we pray these things in the Saviour's name. Amen.